You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold, Thursday night football edition. Saints taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And man, oh man, it has come fast and furious this week. I don't know how the players deal with it because I'm I'm feeling dizzy myself. I'm sure you are, Jeff, of just everything being condensed. But uh, like I mentioned before, hopping on with you, definitely looking forward to at least Sunday some extended chill time on the couch. Yes, and I'm glad you I'm glad you went with Fast and the Furious because much like the Fast and the Furious these days, none of this makes any sense. It's all a mess. <laughs> Everything's here and there. The the threads have been pulled out of the sweater. I don't know. All I know is the Saints got to find a way to win on Thursday night. And we're going to get into a, a lot about the offense this week. And Nick, it's got to look better because if it doesn't, I, I think heads have to roll to some extent. And we'll, we'll get into that. We'll also be talking to Hayes Carlion, Jaguars reporter for 1010XL in Jacksonville. He's not exactly bullish on the Jaguars chances. So we're going to dive into that, whether he thinks Trevor Lawrence is going to actually play all that stuff. So stay tuned for that in the second segment. And then the final segment, you know, the Saints' biggest question this week, in my opinion, is who, who plays on the offensive line? Not whether they play well, who's actually out there? And I have some ideas about who might play. So we're going to dive into that in the third segment and then break down some of our X factors in 
this week's game. But, you know, first things first, one of the things that I talked about in the last episode that I do want to kind of put a bow on is Cesar Ruiz. I was curious after watching that game whether he's ever played right tackle before in his life, let alone practiced it. Has he ever done it? And uh, we got a chance to catch up with him in the locker room this week. And this is what he had to say. Have you ever even practiced it at all? Uh, I used to mess around. Like sometimes I would do it on like last year, I'd mess around and do it on scout team just to mess around. Because I was like, I, in my mind, I was like, I'm never going to do this. So right. I just mess around. So when I asked, when I went out there, I was like, you know, it's the first time I'm doing this in the game, but like it's not the first time I've ever done this, you know. But first time I had to do it when it mattered. Right. So how hard is that to do, man? I mean, that's uh, it's definitely it's definitely interesting. It's definitely some um, some new to do, uh, especially move from you know center guard tackle. Um, I've done it. I've done all three now, so I can I can I can say that. I didn't mess around. We gonna slide you on. Keep on sliding. Mess around for me at running back and do something like that too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it was it was um, didn't really think much about it though. It was kind of just like, hey, Caesar, we need you. Cool. I'm gonna go do it. Yeah, I mean that, that's not kind of my question. How did that conversation go? Did you volunteer? Was it? You know? It wasn't much of a conversation. <laughs> it was like it wasn't time to have a conversation. Like hey, we need you to go do it. All right, cool. I'll go do it. And there you go. You know, I I like. I like Caesar. I think he's had a kind of off and on start to this year. I would have liked to see him come out a little hotter. You know, he, he I think he had a, a really solid step forward season last year. He ended it with the injury. You know, he was healthy throughout camp. I think he is still kind of finding his way back. But, you know, there are worse things to be than the offensive lineman who can play every position. You know, you talk about guys who can be flexible on the offensive line. Usually it's like, oh, he can play guard or tackle. Oh, he can play guard or center. Oh, he can play center. Maybe maybe he should just play all positions, like just play all five in one game. I, I doubt there's anyone that's ever done that. Maybe maybe that's what it is. But anyway, like I, you know, I don't think he played particularly well at right tackle. But like he said, basically all he had done to prepare for that was watch Ryan in practice for a couple of years and be like, how hard could it be? Well, it's kind of hard. No, I, I like when you asked him, what was that discussion like? He's like, it, there wasn't really much of a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked Dennis Allen, was like, is, was that even kind of the plan going into the game? Like if Ryan went down, maybe Caesar could be the guy. And he was like, no, <laughs> like that was the plan after everyone got hurt. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the offensive line in the final segment. But, you know, when as we look at the offense and we talk about the offense, I just think it's important to kind of set that as the idea of like, you can only do so much behind the, an offensive line that is just leaking like a sit. And in, so, you know, how, how much can you expect out of that line? You gotta be able to run the ball. Um, and you know, like as you kind of prepare this game plan for this week, people are going to be like, Oh, you need to make changes. You need to do this. You need to do that. I'm, I need them to be able to do the things that they think is good, like that, that, that they can do, right? It's a, all the things you want to do. What can you do yeah. is the real question you need to answer. Yeah, and unfortunately, running the football hasn't been one of those things that has come easily for this squad. A, a positive, though, hey, you're getting another one of your main backs back in the rotation, but how big of a role is Jamal Williams going to see? Yeah, he was limited in practice the last two days, whatever that means. Like they haven't really practiced. They just do these kind of walkthroughs. So, but you know, like if they don't need to see him practice to play, I would be surprised if he has a huge role. I think this is kind of yeah. going to 
could be one of those like, okay, get him in there for a couple reps and see how he looks. And if he looks good, maybe give him some more work. But yeah, either way, I would love to see him be a short yardage guy, like be a weapon in short yardage. Cause you know, as much as I love Alvin, I don't want to see him have to go out there and pound his head into the line. I want to see them be more creative with him and get him to work in the passing game, get him involved in the screen game. And it's, there's only so many reps you can throw at that guy uh, in terms of you want to keep him healthy. And so, you know, that's a big thing about getting, uh, getting Jamal back. I feel like the same thing with Taysom too. There's so many, you know, you don't want to run him into the to ground either with all the beating he takes uh, with contact. Yeah, and I mean, it, so the thing is with two, like Taysom in short yardage, while it's, it's a good option to have, the problem is it's very, very telegraphed to like, Right, right. At least with Jamal in there, there is the idea that he could, you know, you could play action out of it and go deep or something, right? With Taysom, while it does work a good a good chunk of the time, you know, the defense knows exactly what they're getting and they're going to load up. And so it's tough to run. Even when you're, even when you have that extra blocker, it's tough to run like that. There's only so many, there's only so much inches of grass you can put your feet on, <laughs> right? Like, where do you find that space? So, yeah, like, I think that's just an advantage to have a guy like that. But you know, one thing that, you know, we talked, we heard from Pete Carmichael this week and he got his, he got his Akon on. And I say that because, you know, every time I hear Pete Carmichael talk, it reminds me of that Akon song where he's like, he's like, blame it on me. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like you could put the blame, blame on, on me. And he yeah, says yeah, it like yeah. eight times in a row. Like literally. Uh, no, I was thinking I'm blame it on the alcohol. Never mind. No, different song. Yeah. If you look up the lyrics to blame it on me by Akon, okay, okay. there is one, like one set of lyrics that is literally like, you blame it on me, blame it on me, blame it on me, blame it on me, blame it on me. You can put the blame on me. It's like literally that. Yeah, that's like on a minute. me. That's yeah, on me. And it, and it's a good song. It's a good song. <laughs> the context of it is a little weird to compare it to because, you know, you can Google that all you want. But anyway, you know, that's what we get from P. Carmichael. He's going to take the blame, but <laughs> there's no real solutions being offered. One thing he did say this week that I know is going to get a huge eye roll from fans is, is the idea that maybe the offense is too complicated right now. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I, I actually think it's, it's, it's accurate. I think that is something that the saints need to look at, but I, this is how that, this is how that whole went, that all went down. Consider uh, reducing what you're doing. Yeah, I think sometimes, I think sometimes that's one of the things that you look at and say, Hey, are we trying to do too much? Do we have too much in? And so I think that's, that's always a, a consideration. I mean, are you yes. at that point right now? Oh, I think we, um, I think, you know, again, a short week too, as well, going in there and just making sure that we're doing our, our core things. When uh, some of those communication issues, uh, are, are they almost always on adjustments or checks or? or no, it could, no, it could just be. It could be it could be up. And what is, I mean, I feel like this stuff you hear around the league every year from offenses and defenses, we're going to simplify things. What, like, is that usually a last resort? Is that, no, is that I, a negative when no, you hear No, I, I don't think it is. I think it's just, uh, you know, sometimes you, as a coaching staff, you got to be careful that you're not doing too much. And I think that's what, that could happen any time, any year, even when, you know, things are going well. So I think that it's just a matter of, uh, you know, reduce and make sure we're doing our core, our core things, the things we believe in uh, that guys are comfortable with. Beyond, beyond just the communication, were there some issues in terms of route depth? And it seemed like some of the mesh concepts are very compressed. Yeah, I just, uh, again, I think, uh, I think, again, we all have to be better. So We all have to be better. You know, and again, like I, I could already see, I don't even need to look. I'm sure if anyone tweeted that, I think Aaron Summers might have tweeted that. And I, I saw like it had like 30 quote tweets and I don't even need, need to read them to know exactly what's being said about that comment. But like, I do think that 
there is this misconception with NFL offense that more complicated equals better. And it's not true. You know, a lot of times you can outthink yourself and it's like you have all these playmakers. You don't need to do crazy stuff to get them open, but you do need to get everything right. You do need to get the details right. And I think that there are points in this season where you're trying to do things. It's like, no, you just just run a slant. Just let Mike run slants. Like, why are you trying to 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 run like these these weird concepts with motion when it's like you can't do these simple things right? And while I do think you want to incorporate motion, you want to you don't want to give the same look every time. You know, you do need to execute. And I think that there are points where it's like, yeah, pare it down. Make sure everyone is on the same page and run the offense. Run the ball. Just get to your core run plays and, and execute them correctly. Right. And and I think you get you, you throw the ball 50 times in a game and in a game that you didn't need to throw fit like in a shootout game. Sure. If it's like a 40 to 35 game, throw the ball all you want. You got to keep pace in a game like that. Both teams scored three points in the second half. What did that passing actually get you? And so I, I actually agree. I think that the Saints offense would work better if it was streamlined and you you just kind of ran an offense. I listened to, there was a podcast. It was actually in our podcast feed. That's why I found it with Mark Schlereth um, talking about the Saints offense. And, you know, he called the game in in Houston. So he has a good idea of, of what he's talking about. And one of the things that he said that I, that I agree with is when the saints are out there calling plays, it doesn't seem like they're calling an offense. It seems like they're just calling, they're calling this play. It's like, okay, what's the next play? You know, it's, they're calling plays. They are not calling an offense. They are not, they are not setting things up and hitting them the way that you really need to for rhythm offense to work. And so for me, that's what I want to see. I don't need to see crazy motions. You know, it'd be great if they could do that and execute. It'd be great if they were the 49ers or the Dolphins and and you could have all of these exotic, you know, motions and shifts and stuff like that. But that's not what you need to be successful. You need to run, like he said, you need to execute your core plays, your core beliefs, the things that you have to work for you to be successful. You have to execute those correctly. And you need to be able to run a mesh concept and get to the right depth on your routes. And they just haven't been doing that. And so like, I agree with that. I think that if the saints team executed the plays that, you know, are their bread and butter, we wouldn't be having these conversations about like, why is nothing working? We'd be talking about, okay, what can they add to it to make it more effective? But we don't have that baseline right now. That baseline isn't there. And you're seeing these crazy penalties. You're seeing these, these, yeah. I don't know. It's just, especially in the red zone where, you know, the, you can get all wonky and creative and you can do all these things, but it's like the guys have to be where they're supposed to be. And the quarterback needs to get the ball there on time and on target. And that's what hasn't happened. It hasn't been about, wow, you need to create these new crazy concepts to confuse the defense. The offense has the playmakers to beat the defense. They don't have to confuse the defense to beat them. They have to beat them. And so I like that's to me, I, I agree. I think that is something that especially this week and a short week where you're coming off of this slop fest of a game, just get it right, guys. Just just do the work, do the preparation and get get the plays right. I mean, we're, we're hearing from everybody. You know, you mentioned Pete Carmichael saying, you know, you know, blame it on me. But we're hearing that from the players, too. Oh, the players are saying, oh, I don't want to hear, you know, putting stuff on the coaches. It's on us kind of thing. So it's, it's like. It's like the anti Spider-Man meme. Nobody's pointing fingers at anybody. It's like every, except yourself. And I know Alvin said that too. It's like we gotta. Everybody's gotta, you know, get a little more uh, look in the mirror kind of thing and be more 
uh, what was the term he said? Uh, having the sacrifice, right? It doesn't feel like certain guys and not naming names at all. But to me, I'm curious who who is not on the same page with everyone else right now. That seems to be an issue every week, though. It's not like I mean, you, you throw the the Patriots game out the way and this offense hasn't looked good at all all season long. No, and I know there's there's a lot of criticism being hef- being thrown at Chris Olave, and I think a good chunk of it is merited. You know, when you when you you know whether it's preparation or effort, uh, you know those are yeah. those are two different things. I do think there's some concerning things you see with Chris Olave from week to week in terms of it seems like if he's not getting the ball, he becomes disengaged, and you know that's not that's not a a unique thing to Chris Olave. You've seen that. You know, I remember Jeremy Shockey early in his career, great player, great cat pass catching tight end, but it was always like you got to involve him early because if you don't, he's just he's just going to kind of loaf around out there because he's not doesn't feel like he's part of the game plan and you know, I I don't know if that's what's happening with Chris, but it does feel like if you don't get him the ball, then you don't necessarily get top end Chris Olave and you know, he's a young player. That's something that I, you know, maybe there's, it, I think Dennis Allen said, it's kind of, you got to be a pro every day. And that's tough for young players to kind of turn to, especially for a guy coming out of Ohio state. He's used to winning every week. He's not used to this level of adversity in terms well, of the offense Mike. not working. Look at Mike huh? T. That's a great role model to have. Obviously, you know, that guy's given everything all the time. Yeah. Right. And that's, and I think that's where, you know, when Alvin is expressing frustration like that, it's because he and Mike and, you know, to a lot of other players, Demario, Cam, they came up into this system when everyone did that and everyone was dedicated to the level that was insane and extreme. And and Drew was kind of the standard bearer in that regard. And you know, I think Derek is a is a crazy worker in that in that vein too. But but like I said, you know, he's new to this this room. Like he's he's not going to be the guy that everyone looks to as the example setter. It's got to be Alvin. It's got to be Mike. And, you know, they've got to they've got to find ways to get that level of investment out of these young guys. And, you know, based on what Alvin said, I don't know if that's necessarily happening. And when you say they're not pointing fingers like Alvin's not technically pointing fingers, but he named a lot of names of guys that he's not talking about. So if he weren't in that list, right, then, yeah, you. he is calling in you a, out. in a way. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, not directly. Right. He 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 listed numbers, man. And he was like, I don't worry about this guy. I don't worry about this guy. I don't worry about this guy. Well, there's a lot of names on the offense that he did not mention. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, it, I get, you know, and, and like I've said before, you know, people are going to say, well, you're just being easy on Derek Carr. You're just being easy on Pete Carmichael and the play calling. And it's like, I don't think I am. I think that that criticism is actually more damning that if you cannot get the effort out of your star players, your star, especially the young players, uh, then that's a problem. Then that's a coaching problem. You know, because the players are are going to be the players either way, right? <laughs> like you're not you're not firing the player, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think that's something. Um, you know, we talked to Mickey Loomis this week on WWL, and I don't necessarily I'm not playing this for you as a as a cosign of what he's saying. Let's be clear. I'm just playing this for you so you get an idea of how the Saints front office is approaching this and how they and how they are projecting what they see from this offense. And uh, so here's that. 
But I am curious to to the frustration level just feels like and it's been talked about just kind of some of the miscommunication, the routes and and, you know, these guys have been together not long, but they have been, you know, since the spring. How tough is that uh, really through six weeks? Well, it's it's always frustrating when you don't win. It's not as frustrating if you win the game anyway. Right. But. You know, I feel like, listen, I think offenses typically in the early part of the season are slow starting, right? Look at week six. You know, we're in week six already, and so you would think that would be catching up. But just this week we had, you know, Kansas City scored 19 points. Minnesota scored 19 points. Cincinnati scored 17 points. San Francisco scored 17 points. Philadelphia scored 14 points. Buffalo scored 14 points. These are all really good offenses. And yet it's week six, and and it's not like they're you know ringing up a lot of points in week six. So we're going through some some of that uh, slow start. It hadn't caught up to us yet. We haven't caught up to it, I should say. And so we're going through some growing pains. We've got to figure that out pretty quickly. I look. I saw some really good things in this game. You know, we had 430 yards of offense. We've got to learn how to finish and and how to not have negative plays when we get into the scoring area obviously we have to kick and make field goals so look those are things that are correctable and and i believe we have the people that can that can uh, correct that and and so yes you know and and he's not wrong uh when mickey says like i agree that there's a lot of teams around the nfl and i think that's some valuable perspective that's at least worth having is like the saints are far from the only team in the nfl having really awkward conversations about play calling and offensive efficiency and red zone offense. You know, like the Eagles went out there and stunk it up against the Jets. I think Jalen Hurts had three interceptions. The Bills went out there and stunk it up against the Giants at home. Uh, You know, Josh Allen really couldn't get anything going until the fourth quarter. They went ahead and won that game. They probably should have lost that game. The Giants really let them off the hook, I think. You know, and and Kansas City didn't, didn't blow anyone out of the water. You know, so... There, there is truth to the idea that the Saints are far from alone in not being, not, not offensively producing at a high level. The difference is the Saints have been doing this for two years. And you can say growing pains, but this is not a new offense. It's a new quarterback. But otherwise, it's actually a very consistent offensive group. Right. Like you didn't bring in Derek Carr and say, we're redesigning everything. You brought in Derek Carr because he's supposed to be able to execute that offense at a high level. And he has not been to this point. Like I get it. He threw for 353 yards, which is actually tied with Jared Goff for the top passing performance in the NFL this week. But I think anyone who watched that game would can, can, t- can so show you the problems. It's this is a guy who has been an inconsistent and ineffective quarterback in the red zone his entire career and through six weeks. He has been nothing but an inconsistent and inefficient quarterback in the red zone. And if you can't fix that, if you can't find a way to improve that, then this season is going to go down the tubes and it's going to be another, well, can the defense get it done? Can the defense, can a very good defense carry a team that otherwise can't score? And that's not what it was supposed to be. And so at a certain point, you do have to hold people accountable. And kind of what I was alluding to, and I've said, said this in the last episode, you know, you're going into this Thursday night game. You need to see positive signs from the offense. You need to see them taking a step in the right direction. Then that's why, like, if you want to simplify things and you want to just get back to your core beliefs and do it and do it correctly and do it right, and then it works, or at least looks like it has some, some potential to work, 
then I think you go into this 10 day layoff then you can say, yes, we had growing pains. We are getting better. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. If you can't, if you go into Thursday night and you lay a dud and you cannot do anything but move the ball between the 20s and hope you can kick enough field goals to win a game and hope that your defense can get in the end zone or set you up in short fields, which you're still kicking field goals on, that's what happened against the Patriots. I think that you don't have a choice. You can't sit there and tell me after week seven that you are looking at growing pains and you don't think there's any changes that need to be made, any significant changes, because at that point you are doing a disservice to your fans. So I think this is a huge, huge week, a huge game for this team to at least install some realistic confidence against the Jags team that is exhausted. That should not be a team that you look at and say, we cannot go out and execute against this defense that just spent half of, you know, October in London and then played a game. And now they're playing on a short week. Like you should have the advantage, the new Orleans saints playing at home. And if you cannot take advantage of that, then yes, I think you do need to, if not move on from meet car, meet Carmichael, Pete Carmichael, then, you need to make changes and you need to find a way to install some leadership in this offense that can work or at least can change the vibes around this team. And if you don't, then I, you know, like I, like I said, I'm never, I'm not going to be at a 12 out of 10 all the time, but I'm getting close to, you know, to the point where it's like, yeah, you do need to move on. You do need to make changes because if you're not improving, then the growing pains are not growing pains. They're just pains. Yeah, we the the offensive woes or heartaches, whatever we've been witnessing, have been going on for way too long now uh, with this squad. Like you mentioned, it's not a new system. We just have a new quarterback in place. Uh, but for me, though, too, a lot of inconsistencies from a top-tier defense, and they need to come out in this game, too, for sure, and kind of set that tone uh, right away that this is our house and they're going to get after the quarterback because if it is – if it is a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know he's hurting and you want to, you know, get in his face early on, rattle him. And if it's not, if it is Beathard, you certainly want to feast on a guy like that back there. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I think there's a scenario where you win this game and you still feel like changes on the offense are are, I, are merited. Right, right. Right. Like, the defense very well could go out and win you this game. But that's – winning this game – seven to three or whatever, nine to six. Like, I think that's what, that was the score when they beat Jacksonville a few years ago with Teddy, it was 13 to six. Like if you win a game like that, then I still don't see this as a, as a, as a ringing endorsement of anyone on the offensive coaching staff. That said, the defense can't go out and have a first half like it did against the Texans. That was unacceptable. And, you know, I think that anyone on that defense will tell you that one guy who's going to be interesting to look at is Demario Davis, who ended up on the injury report with a knee injury and would have been a DMP to those first two game days of practice. Now they didn't really practice. So I don't know. I expect him to play. And one of the reasons, and we talked about this before we came on Demario Davis, and this is remarkable has never missed a game due to injury in his NFL career. The only game he missed in his NFL career was in 2020, 2021, rather the COVID game against the dolphins where half the defense wasn't there. Uh, half the half the team wasn't there, really. Uh, that's the only game in his NFL career he has missed. So I would be stunned if he's not out there. But if he's not, man, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, I think it's probably a Jalen Smith game. Uh, you need to get like the DNA of Cam Jordan and Demario Davis, and somehow create some superhuman that is, you know, impervious to anything. <laughs> well, here's the thing. 
they're not impervious to anything. They, they play, just play hurt. through it. Right, right. Yes. They play through it. They're, the toughness is the is the biggest factor because like you like you're kidding yourself if you think that he has <laughs> is he's not going out there in like dealing with stuff a lot. All these players are. Some some players are manage it better than others. Cam Jordan's dealing with a back injury right now. Right. I love he said too. His his basically, I heard him from the locker room yesterday, and he's like, "Yeah, at this point, week seven, everybody's got their thing. Uh, I can't think about it. I'll rest on I'll rest on Friday." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and that's the thing. You kind of there is a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of you will get some extra days off, um, and those days will feel great if you're four and three. They will feel miserable if you are three and four. And so, like again, it's a huge matchup. Uh, <laughs> they better win. Uh, like. You you had the if you had gone out and beaten Houston, then you could look at this and say like kind of the way the Jags are like, you know like I don't think that they're in a desperate situation. The Saints are the Saints need to go out and play like a desperate team, and if they can't, then that's that is a that is a huge a huge you know negative mark in this in the stat in the in the column of this coaching staff. Uh, and so we'll have to see. But that that's all I got. You got anything else you want to say on that matchup before we move on to talk to Hayes here? Uh, definitely looking forward to getting into the Dome Thursday for a night game. We've been around these noon starts way too much. And, yeah, getting that primetime action, you know and I know as well, this, this crowd is going to be a lot different come Thursday night, obviously, than what we've seen this year. I hope so. Right. We, we, this, the team's got to give them reason to, to be that rabid fan base we know we're used to. Yeah, they'll be loud at the start of the game. My question is whether they're going to be loud in the third quarter because of the performance they're watching makes it so it's like, uh, you want to beat the traffic? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see. But all right, let's wrap up that segment, uh, that, that sign, shiny, happy segment and move on. We're going to chat with Hayes. Carl Lyon of 1010XL in Jacksonville covers the Jaguars. Going to break down what we might see from Jacksonville, whether Trevor Lawrence might actually might play, whether it's going to be C.J. Beathard, what he's seeing there, how the Doug Peterson offense is uh, is is moving, is trucking. And, uh, yeah, we're going to break down a lot of that. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about our expectations for the offensive line, X-Factors, all that fun stuff. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. My name is Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. on inside black and gold getting ready for the saints jaguars thursday night football matchup i feel like it's still week five but here we are in week six and it's happening i'm jeff nowak alongside steve geller as always and as promised we are bringing in jaguars reporter for 1010 xl in jacksonville hayes carline is going to break down what the saints can expect from jacksonville or should i say saxonville on thursday (laughs) hayes how you doing Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Jeff, it's actually it's actually week seven. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> it's, I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place. You think you were in London for two weeks. Yeah. I'm not gonna redo that introduction because that's just my state of mind right now. And so that's just yeah, that's where we are. But anyways, yeah, Hayes, you know, 
uh, it's I feel like I'm all over the map, but the the Jaguars have literally been all over the map. They spent two yeah. weeks in London. They come back. They don't get a week off. A lot of times you'll see teams take that buy. I know they have the option to get that buy after the London trip. They clearly decided they didn't want that early buy. So you know what what is the state of Jacksonville right now, or the Jaguars, I should say, uh, as they head into this matchup? Because for a Thursday night matchup, I feel like the Jaguars are actually getting the short end of this from a from a travel and kind of recovery perspective. It's a massive challenge. I mean, I, I think the, the Jaguars did a magnificent job of handling their business in London. They had an embarrassing effort at home against Houston, uh, losing by 20, losing record going overseas, but they're in Atlanta, upset Buffalo. Uh, so a tremendous trip there. And then they had the challenge of, okay, you're coming back and you've got a massive divisional game against Indianapolis at home. Both teams were you know, co-leading the AFC South. The Jaguars get it done there. So now, I, I mean, I think this game doesn't set up well for the Jaguars at all. They're playing well. Uh, and they do have some injuries that we'll talk about. But I think just at some point in the NFL, you kind of take a deep breath. And I think when that happens, your focus drops. And my guess is that's going to be this game for the Jaguars. Uh, so I, I think I'm expecting a pretty sloppy game Thursday. And uh, one in which I think, uh, you know, the first one to, to 20 probably wins the game. Yeah, we'll be lucky if we get to 20 from what we've been seeing from the Saints offense of late. It, it hasn't been a smooth uh, operation at all. But a, a big issue over here has been the offensive line. I know that's pretty similar out in Jacksonville as well. They're, they're, they've been shuffling around some guys. It's been a real problem since uh, training camp opened, really. And uh, it hasn't gotten any better. I mean, they... Uh, they now have issues at, at left guard because uh, Walker Little could play, but I don't expect him to. Uh, Brandon Sheriff, the right guard, is is nursing an injury. I think he'll play, but he won't be 100%. And so, uh, yeah, they've got some issues there at guard. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's an, you got a rookie right tackle, Anton Harrison, who's been playing better. But that's certainly uh, a difficult environment in the Superdome with New Orleans' front. So how will he handle that? Cam Robinson had a four-game suspension, the left tackle. So, you know, he's still rounding back into form. So uh, not a whole lot to feel great about. And the center, Luke Fortner, is a very cerebral player, but struggles with the physicality of the game sometimes. He's in his second year. So uh, it's really been an issue for the Jaguars, just really getting some cohesiveness because the lineup has just been in such flux, you know, really from the opening day account. Yeah, and I mean, obviously the big, the biggest question from an injury perspective is, for, at least from Saints fans, because, you know, <laughs> they have their own issues with the offensive line. They're not even thinking about the Jags offensive line, even though it's going to be a big element in this game. The question is, is Trevor Lawrence going to play the Saints kind of had that same situation in week four and everyone kind of assumed okay Derek Carr's dealing with a shoulder sprain there's no way he plays well he finds a way to get out there and I think from from a toughness perspective Trevor Lawrence is is similar in that you know he's going to do everything in his power to play and you know at a certain point maybe it's a protect the player from himself kind of scenario but what is your read on that I know they've said it's kind of a minor knee sprain but I don't know how how minor can a knee sprain be is my question on a short week. So what is your read on that? That's the thing. He, he practiced a little bit yesterday. I obviously still has uh, today, tomorrow. Um, I'm, I don't think they'll really know anything until uh, he gets to new Orleans, you know, and you see how he responded from the flight and things like that. So I, I think it could be something where we don't know definitively until Thursday morning, 
Um, it could go all the way up to 90 minutes before kick, but I, you know, but I, I think it's, it's probably going to be something where we don't know anything definitively until Thursday. I think he's going to be active, uh, but, you know, and I, I think he's going to start, but, uh, you know, I think in looking at it, there's a lot that goes into this. Is he going to be able to finish the game? You know, that if, does he get 15 plays in, get hit and feel like it's just not right. I can't protect myself. I can't move the way I want. So uh, it's the first time he's had to deal with anything like this in his career. So it is a big test for him. I, I, I think he'll do everything he can to be out there. And I do think he'll, he'll play and give it a go. Uh, but it's certainly something to monitor because the backup CJ Beathard, while he's a experienced journeyman, uh, has not fared well in the limited action that he's had in his career. Yeah, no, CJ Beathard, uh, he likes to throw the deep ball. At least we know how I think that much about the guy, but yeah, uh, what can, how, how different will that offense look if he has to end up running the show? I know ATN has been a real big focal point in the run game for the Jags. But uh, but man, I, I feel like there's really uh, a nice set of weapons all around the, whoever's that quarterback. Honestly, there is. They they've got Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. Uh, Zay Jones is a very uh, good player as well. I don't know that he's going to be able to play with the knee injury. So, uh, but even if Zay is inactive, uh, they do. The quarterback does have three really enviable options to throw to, uh, and and Etienne has been phenomenal running the ball this year. So. There is a, a good amount of skill around, you know, whoever the quarterback ends up being Thursday night. I think the concern would be the offensive line and and just handling handling the crowd and uh, and just and just the being the fourth game where you've got two in London. You come home to, like you guys mentioned, play the Colts, short week, traveling to New Orleans, uh, a team that you know is desperate to get a win and and show that you know they're functional and so I think in looking at it it's a tough putt I think from an intangible standpoint for the Jaguars now they've they've tried to use that edge in terms of who's going to be starting at quarterback and you know make the Saints really probably work more on Beathard than they would have in a normal situation but you know we'll see if that ends up really mattering at all uh, in terms of how it plays I I think the Jaguars offensively are in for a, a pretty tough day in New Orleans (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny because we, like I said, we dealt with the same thing in week four. And one thing I was sure about is regardless of when they decide who their starting quarterback is, there's going to be a smokescreen in play until the last possible second because, you know, there's few advantages that come with your quarterback getting hurt. One of them is forcing the other team to to have some mystery in that process. It didn't work for the Saints. <laughs> they got right. beaten up in that game. But yeah, so I, I fully expect that to go down to game time, whether he plays or not. But, you know, from a from kind of a broader perspective, a broader offensive perspective, this obviously is a run-heavy team to begin with. You have Evan Ingram, who's, you know, you can call it, we call him a tight end. I don't know if he's closer to Kyle Pitts. Like, that's mm. kind of who I comp him to in terms of, he's not really playing tight end. I don't think you're sending him out there to be a, to be a, you know, a jumbo package blocker all a lot of right. the time. But what does this offense do well on a, on a good day? Like what if when the offense is humming, what is working for them? Well, if Trevor is active and really isn't overly bothered by the knee, if he's 90% of what he normally is, then yeah, then New Orleans has a heck of a problem because uh, he can make every throw. Uh, he's, he's kind of found some knack to his game. Uh, that that wasn't there uh, his first couple of years in the league and and has really hit his stride. And 
again, it's hard to focus on one element of the aerial attack because Ridley is is a very good player. Christian Kirk's a very good player, and and as you mentioned, Evan Ingram is 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 quite a weapon as a receiver. So it's hard to really try if you try to take something away then they'll just go to one of the other options. And Trevor's done a good job of, of distributing the ball. It's, it's pretty even when you look at the, the targets. So, uh, so that's the concern. I, I think the concern for New Orleans would be if you can't pressure Trevor, and I think they'll be able to, but let's just say the Jaguars offensive line plays better than expected. Yeah, then it becomes difficult because they've got a good ground game with ETN. And then obviously uh, Trevor Lawrence is very capable through the air. So when the Jaguars are a hundred percent, you know, are, they're, they're certainly a tough team to defend. Doug Peterson does a really nice job schematically. Again, I, I think it's, it's something so often in this league, it's just, when are you catching the team? And I think the saints are catching the Jaguars at a really good time to, uh, to get the victory over them. Overall, what would you say about Doug Peterson? Because he was a guy, obviously, that interviewed uh, in New Orleans. And there are, I would say, quite a few bitter Saints fans right now feeling that they missed out on, you know, bringing him in and then now dealing with Dennis Allen and are trying to get him, the offensive coordinator, and just about everybody else run out of town. Doug's been phenomenal. Obviously, he took over after the Urban Meyer nightmare and they had to kind of rebuild everything and – uh, rebuild the trust, uh, you know, with the players. And, and he did a magnificent job of that in year one. And uh, and it's continued. And, I mean, they're a very tight team. Uh, again, I think the Jaguars, I don't expect them to play particularly well Thursday. But I do think they're going to win the division again. I think that they're going to be a tough out in the tournament. And, uh, and it, a lot of that's because of Doug Peterson, because of the offense he's brought in. Uh, he's been the perfect coach for Trevor Lawrence in terms of being able to relate to him as somebody who's played the position in the NFL. He's been an offensive coordinator. He's been a head coach previously. He's, he's just seen it all and he's had such success that I think it's really helped Trevor Lawrence out. And then they've taken advantage of Trevor Lawrence being on a rookie contract and not having that massive cap hit. So they've put a pretty good team around them. So, uh, you know, defensively, the Jaguars have gotten better as well, which has been a surprise. They've played really well in five of the six games so far this season. So that's been a pleasant surprise uh, in Jacksonville. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Doug Peterson, I don't think there's a Jaguars fan out there that isn't thrilled with how he's done. I'm just curious too, what's been the fervor with all these takeaways for the team this year? It seems to be uh, something that they're really built upon and, and carrying on to week to week. It's, it hasn't just been a fluke. It's really been uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, their pass rush is one of their bigger weaknesses, but Josh Allen's right. played really well, and the turnovers have really been uh, a collective effort. Uh, Andre Sisko's the safety's having a big-time year. He's a young player. Darius Williams has uh, an interception in the last three games. Uh, so they're sort of coming from everybody, and I think that's what's been such a pleasant surprise for for the Jaguars so far. I will say, and this is another reason why I think it's going to be difficult Thursday in the Superdome for the Jaguars, not having Tyson Campbell is a massive mm-hmm. issue for the Jaguars. Uh, and I don't think he's going to play with the hamstring. So uh, I think he's a top six, seven corner in the league. Uh, and, and when they don't have him, there is a massive drop off. They have other issues uh, or other injuries at corner too that make it uh, difficult. They're going to start Buster Brown, it looks like, in place of Tyson Campbell. I have to think that's 
New Orleans's game plan is to attack that corner as often as they can uh, with their talented receivers. So, so the Jaguar defense has played really well. Uh, I understand the Saints are struggling, but not having Tyson Campbell. I mean, he's arguably their most valuable defender. He's at worst their third. And, and I would say you can make a case for Josh Allen, uh, but I, I think overall uh, Tyson Campbell not having him uh, is a gigantic loss for the secondary. So they have been able to get takeaways. We'll see if that continues, but not having Tyson Campbell, I think really is, uh, is going to put the Jaguars in a tough spot. Well, so the first thing I'll do is caution you against assuming the Saints offense is going to do what makes sense. um the second thing i'll say is you know you look at this jaguars defense and there's a lot of high draft picks on it particularly on the defensive line right you got josh allen you got trayvon walker you know even caleb on chase on's a guy we know from lsu he was a first round draft pick roy robertson harris is a name i feel like i hear all the time on the inside foyasade aloakun i don't even know where he was drafted but i didn't know how to say the name that out there uh you know what do you, you know, is, is this a pass rush that tries to get pressure with, you know, without blitzing? How, what do they typically do? I haven't watched enough Jaguars game to have a read on how this team is going to approach this, but it does feel like if you are shorthanded in the secondary, maybe this is a game where you send a lot of pressure. So especially against the Saints offensive line, that's probably going to be starting two backup tackles. You know, what, what do you expect to see in that regard? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Mike Caldwell is a second year defensive coordinator, so you know obviously we're still trying to kind of figure out, build a book on on him and tendencies and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I I think if you're the Jaguars, because of the the Saints issue on the offensive front, as you mentioned, I I think they'll try to create pressure without really going after Carr and blitzing him. You know, obviously he's seen it all, so I'd, I'd be a little you know concerned about you know, fooling them, um, you know, so I, I think they'll certainly try to see if Josh Allen, Trayvon Walker, uh, if they can get some, you know, pressure from the inside too, that'd be a bonus. But yeah, I, w- I would think it would be particularly with Tyson out. I don't know that that they'll trust their secondary to, to hold up if they blitz and, and they don't get there. So I would think more of a conservative game plan, but that's just a guess. You're looking at, um, obviously, we, you know, we hear all the time, offense, defense, and special teams. What's uh, what's your feel on the kicking situation for the Jags? Because to me, uh, th- this very well could end up being a field goal type game in the Dome. That's a good point. Yeah, that is a great point. If it comes down to that, I think that I, if you told me now it's going to be decided by special teams, I would pick the Jaguars because McManus has been fantastic at kicker. Logan Cook has been one of the better punters in the league for a while now um, for the Jaguars. So, uh, and Jamal Agnew is one of the best returners. Yeah. So uh, you have to really, Agnew is a, is a major X factor for the Jaguars. Uh, in the opener, he had a 50 yard kick return that sort of sparked them. They were kind of sloppy. Agnew breaks the return. They score a touchdown off of it. They end up beating the Colts in week one in Indianapolis. He's that kind of guy. Like if it's, if the game is in a malaise, then I would be really hesitant to kick a ball to Jamal Agnew because it happened a, a few times last season. He doesn't tend to break him for touchdowns here. He, he did in Detroit, his first stop. but So he doesn't tend to break him for touchdowns here, but he'll break him for like 50, 60-yard gains, and the offense almost always scores off of him. So he is... He is a, a microwave kind of player. Yeah. So if the Jaguars are kind of struggling to get something going offensively, I especially would not give Jamal Agnew a chance 
to break something because it just it just seems like it lifts the sidelines so much more than even what the you know yardage gives them. No, that's fair. Yeah, and then the Saints, you know, sometimes there's times where it feels like the only way they can move the ball is with a kick return. So uh, we know we know that well. We're talking to Hayes Carline with ten ten. XL in Jacksonville Jaguars reporter. And, you know, my last question is really only because you mentioned it and it's very rare. We have someone come on here and, and, and predict that their team loses, but you know, what is your score prediction for this game? I'll say it's something like, I'll say like, I don't know, 2017, you know, that kind of game. And even that might be a little high scoring. Um, I just, I just get a sense. The Jaguars are going to, this will be the game that they kind of play a sloppy game. They're not, they're not good enough that they're going to win 14 games this season. You know, they're good enough to win 11. Uh, they're good enough to win the division, but it just feels like at some point, the two games in London, the playing right after at home in a massive divisional game, it just seems like it's human nature that they're going to let their guard down a little bit. And I do think the Saints, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that I think for New Orleans, it kind of helps that it's a short week because they need to get back out there and play. Uh, you know, they're dealing with some turmoil. So I think that always helps when you can just say, let's just go play and have fun. And it's it's in the Superdome, which, yeah, I've covered games there. It's it's an amazing environment. I have to think, you know, the, the Saints fans are going to be in a lather with it being a primetime game. So I just think it's going to be a, a difficult challenge for the Jaguars. I think if if they were playing this game again later in the season, I'd probably pick the Jaguars to win it. I just think the game sets up really well for New Orleans. And, you know, the Jaguars, to me, are, are going to have to show incredible maturity and mental toughness to go out there and, and play well for a fourth straight week, considering everything that they've, uh, you know, gone through from a travel standpoint. So uh, I think sloppy game, and I think the Saints uh, pull it out at the end. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, the Jaguars have put themselves in a position where they could afford to lose and have and say this is a schedule loss. The Saints are not in that position. So I, I do agree. I think that they should come out and play desperate because they're in a desperate type of situation right now. But all right, we've been talking to Hayes Carline, Jaguars reporter for 1010 XL in Jacksonville. Check out his work if you want to go behind enemy lines and get ready for a Thursday night football matchup. Saints Jacksonville. Thanks so much, Hayes. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. Appreciate you, man. But all right, thanks again to Hayes Carlion. You can check out his work at 1010XL in Jacksonville. And so the good news from Hayes, at least from what he told us, is the Jags are in just as dire straits as the Saints. And they aren't, and like I said, they are not in a position where they should feel desperate. Now, do they come out and play desperate? I don't know. Does it matter? I don't know. But we'll see. Either way, thanks, Hayes, for the insight. We're going to wrap up that segment. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into, you know, what's going on with the offensive line. I have I have my indication of what I think it's going to look like. It might, might not be what you think it's going to look like. So we're going to dive into that. Then we're going to break down some X factors as we do every week for, you know, who we think could swing this matchup high or low. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Gelly. You can follow me at Twitter on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. To me, it's still Twitter at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Check out WWL.com for the latest content. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. And while you're busy doing that, stick around. We'll be right back. back on inside black and gold one more segment 
one more trip around the sun of this of this here episode and you know the first thing that we should talk about because we didn't really get to it in the first segment at least not in depth is man who is going to play on this offensive line you know we heard from Dennis Allen after the game and we played that audio on the last episode of the decision to bench Trevor Penning why it happened they wanted to give him perspective they wanted to allow him to learn in the background and so the question now is how dedicated are you to that decision because it sure doesn't look like Ryan Ramchick or James Hurst is going to play they were DNPs at both practices you know James Hurst is dealing with that ankle injury it sure didn't look good it sure looked like it was a more severe right it was the same ankle injury that he was dealing with ahead of the Patriots game he played through it uh he played through it last week until he couldn't you know and that, I think it was it was not so much of a recurrence of that injury as just another injury to the same ankle. And so I don't expect him to play. Ryan Ramchek went to the concussion protocol. It's almost impossible to get back from the concussion protocol in one week, let alone four days. So I think you, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to have a different right tackle and left tackle in this game than you started with last week. And, you know, uh, I'm just going to say this. I think this team is dedicated to the plan to sit down Trevor. I don't think that that they're going to look at it and say, well, we don't have James Hurst, so we're going to start Trevor a left tackle. I think they're going to find a way to get him on the bench. And, uh, you know, wh- whether that's trying to send a message or whether you believe what Dennis Allen was saying and they, they think this is the best way for him to grow, I, I think that's what's going to happen. That's definitely not encouraging to hear at all, uh, I guess, as a fan or even for, I don't know, what the future lies ahead for Trevor Penning. I don't know. I, I thought that there was progress being made there. And I'm really curious to what's happened now where this team is taking this stance where now, instead of getting the reps, watching from afar is, is being more beneficial, especially in the situation right now too, which is weird. Yeah. Right. And you know, he got in there against the <laughs> Texans and I would have loved for that to be a moment where he's <laughs> like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play great. You know, you could argue that he has worst game of the season. And, right, and maybe that's because he didn't get reps in practice. He wasn't prepared. And that might be an indictment on the decision to sit him down in the first place because clearly that didn't help him, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. But he didn't do anything in that game. He had two penalties. He allowed a sack. He allowed five pressures. He didn't even play the whole game. And so I don't I don't think you did anything. He did anything in that game to to make this team be like, ah, oh, you know what? Send him back out there. So So we'll see. One guy who we should get back this week uh, is who we're going to hear from right here. Season, we've seen James play right guard. We've seen Caesar play right tackle. I yeah. know you can be available to play left guard or left tackle if needed. What is yeah. the mindset? Um, just, like I said, just locking in on the plan and uh, just having great preparation, you know, these next couple of days. And, you know, wherever you know, wherever we're lined up, we're, you know, going to play and uh, give, give our 100% out there. Fans are yeah. like, who's that, Jeff? It's Andres Pete. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he he injured his groin in the last play of practice on Thursday ahead of the ahead of the Texans game. Apparently he was an emergency lineman, which is just funny to hear because like what what level of emergency is it when you move your right guard to right tackle a guy who's literally never played the position in his life that but that's not an emergency level of like getting Andres on the field. Anyway, he did play some special team snaps, but so you look at it and you say, OK, if you do sit down, Trevor, if you aren't playing Trevor, who are your options at tackle? And right now it's 
So you could theoretically move Caesar back to right tackle. Guarantee you that is not something that they're that they're wanting to do. But you are in a situation where if you end up in a dire straits again, you at least know that he is somewhat capable of doing it. So I guess that's helpful to some extent. So one of their options is Andres Pete right there, who was talking about, you know, wherever they ask me to line up, that's where I'm going to go. And, you know, he was drafted as a tackle. He can play tackle. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a bold move if that's your decision, but that is an option. The other two options are currently on the practice squad in Cam Irving, a former for, former first rounder. They signed him a couple of weeks ago. He's been sitting on the practice squad. There's a pedigree there, but who knows what to expect from him. We haven't seen him. You know, he wasn't here for the preseason. We didn't even get to see him play in the preseason. And the other one would be Mark Evans. You know, rookie UDFA has been sitting on the practice squad. He is a tackle. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you sign one of those guys to the active roster. If, if anyone goes on IR this week and you open up a roster spot, otherwise you have practice squad elevations you can take advantage of. And I think it's going to be one of those two guys starting at right tackle. And so you're, you're going to go from there, but you're not, not, it's not good. <laughs> Definitely not good. And when I'm talking about like, what can you run? A lot of it's going to be contingent on, okay, what can we trust our a backup right tackle and left tackle to do? And, um, that's going to be a major story of this game. Is there any inkling? I know he's been not practicing either on a guy like Landon Young on how, how he is and like how far out is he from coming back? That's a good point. I didn't mention Landon. You know, he's dealing with a hip injury. Yeah. He hasn't, pra- he, he would have been a DMP to the first two days here. If there was any indication that he'd be coming back, it would be in these two days. Like, I don't think <laughs> you don't go from a DMP for two weeks to playing on Thursday night football. Oh. <laughs> um, so no, I don't think it's in the car. He's dealing with a hip injury and it's gotten, it's gotten to a point where it's like, what are, what are all these long-term injuries and guys aren't on IR. So like you're theoretically expecting them back. I like Jawan Johnson, you know, these guys have been on injured reserve. These guys have been out with injuries forever and nine of, none of them seemed hyper significant, right? Like, it's not like you saw them go down in a game and get carted off the field or anything. It's just like, warming up against the against the head of the bucks and it's like oh he, he tweaked that that calf and haven't seen hasn't heard from him since uh, Lonnie Johnson is a guy who has been out for a while but it does seem like he's going to get back this week so at least that's you know one of the Johnson twins getting back on the field but yeah I mean that that's kind of my read on the offensive line is you know I think that Trevor is going to be a backup this week to whoever starts at left tackle and uh, you're gonna have to go from there I think you're gonna see Max Garcia get that start at left guard again and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, it is kind of crazy when you think about how last week started versus how last week ended. You the, the, to kick off the game. You had left tackle James Hurst, then Max Garcia at left guard, Eric McCoy at center, Cesar Ruiz at right guard, Ryan Ramchek at right tackle. By the end of the game, it was her. Or it was Penning, Garcia, McCoy, <laughs> Saldaveri, and then Cesar Ruiz over at right tackle. And then you talk about like continuity on the offensive line. I mean, that's even even by the Saints standards the last several years where you were playing games without either tackle and Armstead and Ramchek were both dealing with injuries. And it's like it still wasn't this bad. No, that's why the way things were unfolding last game, way after the turnover was turned over, you you, tur- you gave back the turnover. Everything just seemed it was like the the no good, bad, horrible day, whatever you want to you know say. Nothing went right there. And yeah, the offensive line which hasn't has been a huge question just keeps getting dinged up more and more. And I don't, I don't really, 
I don't know what to make of the penning situation right now. I know fans obviously aren't happy with it. I don't think we're happy with it either. And how, how does he get back in the good graces with the team? And we see the, and, and any kind of inkling that he's a first round talent uh, capable of lasting uh, here in the NFL, because right now, I know folks are just calling him turnstile already, which isn't great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, he's still a young player. There's, there is, there as Mickey Loomis might say, growing pains involved here. I'll be, um, I'll be a devil's advocate. I, I remember mock drafts looking at a guy, Osiris Torrance. And I hear on like NFL, good morning uh, football. Osiris Torrance hasn't given up a sack yet this season in Buffalo. And I'm like, Oh, oh who could use that guy right now? <laughs> well, he's a guard. Does he's not I hear tackle. you, but I, I, I'm just saying it was someone that I at least was a possibility for this team we knew in the draft, and and for whatever reason they did not pursue. Yeah, I mean I, I don't have an issue with the players they've draft they drafted this past season. Like I don't think they would be like you weren't you weren't looking for a garden draft, and you didn't you you ended up getting Saldivari in the fourth round, a guy you like. So I'm not I, I don't know like I'm not gonna say like oh man how could they not draft Osiris Torrance. Not just um, specifically him. It just seems like they've missed a lot on the O line, unfortunately. I mean, no, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, Eric McCoy was a good draft pick. Cesar Ruiz, I feel like, you know, might have been a little out of left field, but he hasn't been terrible the last two years. Like, I don't think they've missed per se. You know, Ryan Ramchek was a great pick when they when they made it. That's 2017. It's not exactly a lifetime ago. Uh, right. Tehran was great when they made that pick. Um, Andres, Andres, you know, you can say what you want about him. He's been on, he's like a three-time pro bowler at guard. It's not like, I don't know how he's a three-time pro bowler because he's good, but he's rarely around. <laughs> well, sure. But like you're, I mean, I, I don't know when you're drafting a player, you're not going to be like, we can't draft him because in the crystal ball, it told us that he's going to break his forearm. No, no but it, I'm just surprised he's lasted even this long in new Orleans still. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it's easy to, in hindsight, to say, wow, they should have drafted this guy. But yeah, yeah, all you I know. Can do I'm not is, trying to play that evaluate game. the decisions as they were made. And, you know, like, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not going to quibble over, you know, you needed a left tackle. You went and got the best left tackle on the board. And that was the case, right? Which you, you could have Bernard Raymond. He's not exactly, you know, a guy that's blowing up either. Like, that's it's kind of where your options were at. And so I, I don't know. Either way, it's you got to make it work with the guys you have. And unfortunately, offensive linemen get hurt, and you got to figure that out. I just think, I mean, I think from the Saints' perspective, it's like you got to figure out how to stop your offensive linemen from getting concussed once every three weeks. Like that's that's the biggest issue they're having right now. Not necessarily the production. It's it's they can't they can't avoid head injuries, which is crazy. Like you, like that shouldn't be something that's happening. Michael Ryan Ramchek already wears this crazy like fucking space age helmet. Like isn't that supposed to help? Like what is happening anyway? So no, that, that's a great question. What's what's being taught in classroom then, kind of thing? And do you start looking? I know obviously Carmichael's gone on a, a ton of fire. I haven't really you know had the pitchforks and fire coming out for Doug Marone at all yet. Yeah, yeah you don't hear you don't hear the average fan diving in and even knowing who the offensive line coach is most of the time. Right, right. Yeah, obviously, they some people do, but you know it's not like you know you're watching a game and you'll be like, "Damn that Doug Marone!" Ah, <laughs> um, oh, curses. Anyway, so let's let's wrap this up with the X factors because that's what we do. And so, if you're looking at X factors on offense, we already talked about the offensive line. So let's 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 not let's not to go too hard on 
on any other position there. Who who are your X factors on on offense? Uh, I definitely want to see the uh, the passing game be more successful in this game against a Jacksonville squad that has given up a, a good amount of passing yardage. They've been stout against uh, the run, it seems, and I, I, I haven't. I've been wanting the, the Saints run game to get going. I'm just not expecting it to be uh, Thursday night, but I, I'm looking. I'm going to look for Mr. Derek Carr to, to finally put it together in the red zone. That's going to be the biggest thing. I'm not going to even say move the team down the field because they've been able to do that, but I'm, I'm looking for him to be successful in the red area. Hopefully he can get three or three, four, four kind of deal. Um, I, I just want to see that good decision-making and being able to get rid of the ball a lot quicker as well, too. But I think Derek Carr is definitely that X factor for this damn Saints offense's game. Yes. Now, you sound like Dennis Allen with the the red area thing. and <laughs> I don't know why. That's one of the more annoying things to me that he says is the red area. Just call it the red zone. Like, who are you trying to – what are you trying to prove with the red area? What is better about that? I don't um, know. Just a different way of saying it. No, it's just funny to me because he's – that's like something that he always says. He says the red area, which – like, I don't know. It's like everyone calls it the red zone, but for some reason, like he very, very like clearly calls it that he must call it that for a reason. I don't know. Well, yeah, Tom, maybe Tom we, Coughlin, need, we need uh, it to be the green zone. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Tom Coughlin used to call it the green zone. Okay. Um, And like I, I at least understand the meaning there, which is like green means go red means stop. So yeah. like, it's like, trying to just like a mental gymnastics thing of trying to get that into people's heads, which is like, no, we're not getting to the, you're not trying to get there. You are trying to score from there. Right. Right. It's not about getting there and stopping. It's about getting there and scoring. Um, And so like, but like red area does not change it. Anyway, I I don't know. Zone. Green zone. Green zone. Yeah. Anyway. So I I agree with you. And, you know, I'll I'll go like I need to see consistent effort from Chris Olave. I really do because he is, you know, and and like you can it's tough because he is that talented. Right. So it's like you're being hard on him, but it's because you extend more. Right. Yeah. Like you, you have the talent to to be out there in dominating games. And it just feels like you don't get that all the time. You get that in stretches and you make these fantastic catches and then that's always going to be there. But, you know, even like there's plays where you need to run to sell a clear out. Like you, just because you were clear out and you're not an option on that play, you can't just run half speed and, and allow the defense to know that that's not like the whole point of that is for you to, is to, for you to clear them out. And if they, if they can tell just by the way you're running, that you are not the, that you are not the first read on this play that you were just running a clear out, then, then that kind of defeats the purpose of you running a clear out. Right. Like even like if it's Adam Prentice, I still want to see him running. It's like they're they're not gonna be like, oh, they're definitely going to throw a fade to Adam Prentice here. No, but like you gotta make them react. Anyway, so that's to me, that's that's my X factor is like, can you get that consistent one hot one hundred out of one hundred effort from Chris Olave when when things aren't going well? When things aren't when the ball's not going to him three times in a row, when when you're asking him to be a decoy. Because right now I don't think you're getting it. So that's that's my X factor. Um, now let's we can we can shift over to defense. Who, who are you looking at on the defensive side? Who? Uh, it's definitely got to be up front. And I guess I mean it's it's easy to pick Carl Granderson right now because he's been a force. But uh, just in general, I'll say D line just getting pressure on whichever quarterback is present because 
Um, we know Lawrence is hurting and Bethard is an, you know, inexperienced, uh, a guy that's been around the block, a veteran kind of, you know, quarterback, but he really hasn't been doing uh, much uh, for this squad. And we definitely don't want CJ Bethard, you know, picking apart this team. And I'm sure could, if he's given the, 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 the too much time in the pocket or whatever, but yeah, just, just being able to apply that pressure consistently and not at, Oh, it, it happened in the first half. It didn't happen in the second kind of thing. Uh, I just want a, a constant force up front from everybody. I, I agree. It's the D line. I, I don't know if it's necessarily pressure because I don't think the Jags are going to be dropping back and throwing 30 times in this game. You have to be able to stop Travis Etienne in the run game, yeah. regardless of which quarterback is in there. And you like that's you lost that game against the Texans in the first half because you allowed Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary to run all over you. And so got Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, Brian Brzee, not so much Brian because he's more of a run down or a, like a pass downs player at this point in his career. But, you know, th- like those are the guys that, you know, I need to see consistent effort and energy and, and you need to stop the run. You need to stuff the run. Um, cause when you can do that, then you can worry about the pass rush. Then you got to force them into passing situations. And that's what the saints did in the second half against the Texans. They, like, they'll tell you, like they didn't make any adjustments, but the biggest adjustment was not allowing four or five yards on first down specifically first down. That's where you get into trouble as a defense. And that's what happened against the bucks. Like the bucks didn't run for a ton of yards, but Rashawn white and Keyshawn Vaughn, I think Rashad white and Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, they were constantly picking up chunks, three to four or five yards. And I mean, as an offense, that's not a big play offense. That's not going to go over the top and just methodically move down the field. You kind of need that. You need that early yardage because if you're second and 10 is very difficult, you need to execute. And if you don't third and 10 is, you know, especially against this defense, that's going to get after you. A lot of times it feels impossible. And that's when, yeah, the pass rush gets to you, but you know, I, I need to see this defense really be stout up front and not have to send pressure, not have to send run blitzes. You know, they need to be able to just clog things up. And I think they can do that. And I think this Jags offensive line isn't fantastic. Like, they just need to be able to assert themselves and and not get blown off the snap. And if they can do that, then, you know, I think this Jags offense is going to have a really hard time moving the ball because they're not going to want to run shot plays. They're not going to want to drop Trevor Lawrence and, and have him take a seven-step drop and try to find someone downfield and risk someone coming in and, like, blowing him up. Um, even if it's a penalty, right? Like I think the Saints are going to try to get after him. When you when you have a quarterback back there that you know is dealing with an injury, you know you're not going out there and trying to hurt a guy, but you are going to make him feel you. You are going to hit him, and you're going to see how he reacts. And I I think the Jags are well aware of that. So you need to force them out of the ability to just to just go three yards in a cloud of dust and pick up first downs. So that's my expectation. And now I feel like, too, I'm going to be like the Cajun Cannon right here. He mentions, obviously, that turnover margin every week. But, man, oh, man, this this Jag squad, we know they are ball hawking right now. They lead the NFL in takeaways. That's a, that's a big, I won't say scary point, but de- definitely something to be concerned about going into the matchup. Got to hold on to the damn ball. Yeah, that is one thing. You know, if you want, if, if you want to pick out positive traits from this Saints offense so far, it has been that they haven't turned the ball over. Right. Like the, the turnover on Zach Bond, obviously that's a fumble, but it doesn't go against the offense. Like they had nothing to do with that. The interception at the end of the game, fourth down, you're trying to make something happen. That's not an, a turnover that I'm going to be like, how, you know, like you, you kind of like, that's the type where you say, yeah, that's just anytime the turnover is on the last play of the game. It's not the same as the turnover. Like the one CJ Stroud threw, that was a bad interception. 
right? Like that's a, that would have set them up in a terrible position in terms of being behind and giving the Saints the ball in plus territory. You haven't really seen a ton of that from the Saints offense. So, you know, that's one positive thing, right? Like if you need to pull out positive traits, you know, if he threw one, a bad interception in week one at the end of the first half. He threw a bad interception in week two at the end of the first half. Other than those, I think Derek Carr has protected the ball pretty well. And it's what's kept you in, in these games, even the ones that you did struggle in, right? Like Adam Prentice fumbled. You know, he's not a guy who should even have the ball. So again, that's, an, that's a turnover that like you're, you're just like, well, I can't blame the Derek Carr offense for that. Um, I, was think, I was thinking I can't recall another fumble on the offense besides Prentice, but I'm sure there, there has been. A lost fumble? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, they haven't turned the ball over much at all. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, uh, fumble-wise, I couldn't, like I said, couldn't think of anything besides the Prentice deal, and obviously Zach Baum, but that doesn't go on. <laughs> that doesn't go on the offense. Oh, uh, let's see. So fumbles. Bum bum bum. Adam Prentice fumbled once, lost it. Jamal Williams fumbled, but got it back. That's it. Right. So uh, that that's good. They're keeping the ball snug. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, like again, you know, Derek Carr has, has three interceptions again. So one of those was at the end of the game. So it's not really, you know, the issue is the, the issue isn't the interceptions. The issue is that, you know, through, through six weeks, he has as many touchdown passes as Jameis had in week one against the Packers a couple of years ago. Five. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's a problem. They got to fix that. Um, but yeah. No, That's no, I know. And you betters out there, if you've been taking the under with the Saints, you've won every week. Yeah, even against the Patriots, because uh, the uh, it was because like they scored yeah. thirty four, but the Patriots scored zero. Yeah, so you're, exactly. you're probably right. Yeah, <laughs> life's too short to bet the under, unless you're a Saints fan. Unless you're a Saints fan, then it's just prudent. <laughs> um, all right, that's gonna be it for me. This is inside black and gold. It's gonna be it from us, I should say. This is inside black and gold. Right, I'm, I'm just gonna, gonna hang like, out here. Yeah, he's. I'm Jeff Nowak, and that's and that's the picture. Steve Geller. Um, sometimes we hear words from it. Uh, <laughs> all right, thanks everyone for listening. You can follow me at on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore Pod. Check out WWL.com for words and other stuff, sound and other stuff, analysis, all that good stuff. Subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review, please. Do appreciate it. You know, Jim from Covington is always also very nice. Oh, well, yeah, I should mention there. Was someone, uh, I when I was in uh, New England, someone came up and said that they listen to the podcast, and I, I appreciate that. I didn't get their name. I was so I was like completely, you know, flustered in terms of like I was getting off the field and I was trying to make sure I could find the post game press conferences. So I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're great, <laughs> but I do appreciate that. So thanks. I, I didn't catch his name, but I appreciate the, whoever that was. Um, the New England, inside black and gold, New England faithful. Yeah. There's a good amount of saints fans there. You know, it's funny. Like we talk about, it's like, okay, saints fans are traveling well, but you know, they're going to, they're going to get fed up and they're not going to travel after a certain point. You know, I, I know, I, I know there was a lot of people who were posting like uh, that. They spent a bunch of money to go to Houston and you know, <laughs> they were like, well, this was a waste of money. I'm like, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but that's part yeah, of the hopefully, hopefully, the folks don't feel that way about Thursday night because the the Saints fans, def, the Saints team, definitely needs the fans and as much help as they they can get right now. Agreed. But all right, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back on Friday morning with a post game pod. No, normally, home games I would do a post game, but the night games, like I'm not going live at midnight. No one, you know, I don't. I don't think anyone would 
would rather us go live at midnight so we'll probably do that friday morning um maybe around 10 we'll, we'll probably go live and, and figure that out so everyone can hopefully revel in the the success of the saints uh we'll, we'll make it a sting yeah we'll, we'll take the sting out of things for sure that would be nice but all right y'all thanks for listening who that go saints tune in thursday three o'clock first take for more of me and jeff i know you can't ah! get it. so much all right y'all be easy peace <laughs>